Well, hey, take your copy of God's Word and turn to Colossians, Colossians chapter 1. In a moment, we're going to begin in verse number 9. Hey, at the end of our time this morning, I'm going to give you an opportunity for prayer. And so if you have a special prayer need or there's something going on in your life or your family's life, we're going to have a time of intercessory prayer. Now, we have a lot of people in here, and, and uh, we want to be able to meet your needs. And so just as the Lord leads you in this message, we want to give you that time at the end, special time of worship and prayer. So I want you to be aware of that. Okay, well, let's stand as we read God's Word, Colossians chapter 1. We'll begin in verse number nine. The Holy Spirit says through the Apostle Paul, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You may be seated. So here's the question. You know, we're, we're in 2024. Uh, I don't know if you can believe that. We're in 2024. Sounds like a sci-fi film to me. So here's my question for you. We're, we're two weeks in. How's your prayer life? How's your prayer life? You know, yesterday, I was on my knees praying a lot. Kentucky got beat by Texas A&M. <laughs> Dolphins went to the frozen tundra of Kansas City. And uh, we are 0-11 in sub... Uh, sub 32 degree weather, so we're praying now for the Lions. I think I've decided I'm going to be a Lions fan, all right? So how's your prayer life? You know, a lot of people pray. People all over the world pray. As a matter of fact, even Americans pray. According to a new Gallup survey, it found that more Americans will pray each week than will exercise, drive a car, or even go to work. All right? Praise the Lord for that. It's good. In an increasing post-Christian America, uh, nearly half of our population say that they pray daily, uh, which that dwarfs the nation's church attendance. Uh, even this morning, while we're here in worship, people around the world have been praying. Muslims in the Middle East have spread out their prayer rugs, bowed their foreheads to the ground, and have chanted the Quran in unison. Hasidic Jews and Jerusalem have written pleas to Yahweh on small pieces of paper in the Western Wall and have wedged them there and praying that Hamashiach, Messiah, would come. In Southeast Asia, Buddhists have meditatively emptied themselves, searching for enlightenment and self-forgetfulness. Somewhere around the world today, maybe in Western Europe, a staunch atheist in the hospital waiting room buried his head in his hands and was muttering a few desperate words to a God he doesn't believe in. See, the reality is, is that everyone prays. Prayer is instinctive to who we are as humans. And I think it's because we were made by God and we were made for God, but Ultimately, we want to connect with God. We want to connect with the, the, the transcendent. We, we really can't help but to pray. And, and so maybe that's you. You, you, you pray, but, but yet your prayer life is boring. Or maybe it's tired. Or maybe you just feel it's, it's just repetitive or, or confusing. 
You know, I found that a lot of people today, they, they want to pray, but they don't know how to pray and they don't know what to pray for. And so one of the best ways to learn to pray is to learn how others have done it. Now, Jesus gives us that model prayer and Jesus is our greatest example for prayer. But outside of Jesus Christ, I think another prayer warrior in the Bible is a guy by the name of the Apostle Paul. And so we're here in Colossians, and this is a series we're going through. And Paul, if you're new to church or new to the Bible, there's a guy named Paul who used to be Saul of Tarsus, and Jesus came into his life. He was going his way, ran into Yahweh, and now he's going God's way. And Paul here is writing a letter to a group of believers from prison and a group of people he's never met before. The only reason he heard of this church at Galassi is because one of his protégés, one of his mentees, a guy named Epaphras, is the church planner who planted this church in Colossae. This is modern-day Turkey. And word had gotten uh, to Paul that this church was growing, that the, the, the people were just on fire for Jesus, that God was doing so many incredible things there and in and through that church in Colossae. And here's what you have to understand. Every time God blesses something, the devil blasts it, Right? So, you know, God's blessing this church. We're seeing people come to Christ. We're seeing God do some super, supernatural, miraculous things. And every time God blesses, Satan always blasts. And that's what happened here, the church of Colossae. And so there was a group of people who came in and they infiltrated the church. And uh, they went to try to get the people in the church to drift away from Jesus. There were those who said, no, you need to add to what Jesus has done. And there were others who said, no, you really don't need Jesus at all. And so Paul here is writing this letter to this new growing church. And his primary objective is to make sure that they understand that Jesus is supreme above and over all. So he begins, as we looked at last week, if you were here, by introducing who he is and introducing and affirming who they were in Christ. And he talks about justification, sanctification, glorification. And then from that introduction, he, he, he shares his prayer for them. He starts that prayer in verse 3 and goes all the way, some would say, through verse 14. And, and in this section of prayer, he, he wanted them to know, number one, that he prayed for them, but number two, how they should pray. He was pastoring them through his prayers for them. And so what we want to do is we want to learn from Paul's prayer. And so in Paul's prayer, we will see an example of persistence and an encouragement for what to pray for that will transform our everyday life. And so let's just look at that. Number one, an example of persistence in prayer. Verse number nine, he says, and so from the day we heard. From the day that Pastor Epaphras told us about how the gospel was growing in you and how the gospel was being shared by you, uh, and, and, and from the moment that we heard of your faith in Christ and your love for all the saints and your hope in heaven and the gospel of Jesus Christ, since that day we heard about you, Paul says, we've not stopped praying for you. We, we pray for you every day. We can't stop thanking God for you. We can't stop thinking about you. And we can't stop praying for you. As a matter of fact, Paul at the end of the letter says in chapter four, verse 12, that Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature, fully assured in all the will of God, that your pastor Epaphras, even though he's now with me, we are standing praying with you. He is my prayer partner. We have not stopped praying for you. Now, where was Paul? Where was Epaphras? Well, they were in prison. They weren't in Camp Cupcake. 
They were suffering for Jesus, but yet they were prayer warriors. They were in chains, but their prayers were not. Now for Paul, this was, a, this was kind of a big deal because even though Paul didn't necessarily plant them, he's kind of like their grand pastor because one of his disciples discipled them. And so he's kind of like a granddad coming and writing a letter to his spiritual grandchildren and, and he's loving them. And here's the thing, what I love about this, how Paul is an example here, is that he wasn't just praying about the Colossians, he was praying for the Colossians. Most of the time when we pray, we, we pray about other people, we don't pray for other people. And normally we pray about how annoying they are to us and how we pray that God would change them, right? But yet Paul here loved them and he wanted to stay connected to them. See, the shortest distance between two people is prayer. But when you pray for someone, you are staying connected to them and with them even though they are not near to you. And so Paul and Epaphras, even though they were in Rome and this church was all the way over in Turkey, they were praying every day for them and didn't give up because Paul saw that his daily ministry to the Colossians was to pray for them. I just want to say this because sometimes we say this very tritely. It can sound very cool on social media, or we can say this when we meet people on the streets, but this is reality. The greatest gift you can give someone is to consistently pray for them. It just is. Now, I'll tell you this. You can learn a lot about a person by listening to them pray. You just can. And so, you know, you can understand their walk with God. You can understand their understanding of God. You can, you can hear, does this person really have an intimate relationship with God or is it just big words that no one understands? Are they just repeating phrases? You know, back when I grew up, I grew up in the small church, in the country church, and, and we would have in the middle of the service different people that would pray. And, and so there would be someone called on to pray. And there was this one particular guy, when he was called on to pray, he used this phrase, dear Lord. And, and what I would do while he was praying, I would count the number of times he says, dear Lord, because I was a kid, right? One time the old boy got up to 60, dear Lords. That's a lot of dear Lord, right? Dear Lord, dear Lord, dear Lord. I mean, one time he had like a triple dear Lord. So your prayer life reveals your theology. Your prayer life reveals your walk with God. Your prayer life shows, do you have an intimate relationship with God or is this just something you do to make yourself feel better about yourself? Because the reality is, is that our instinct as, as sinful humans is to do, not to pray. Our first instinct is often to do something, not pray about something. And yet our prayer life reveals how much we depend upon God and how much we depend upon ourselves. Now, some of you say, well, pastor, look, I want to pray, but I'm very intimidated by prayer. I don't understand it. It seems very hard. I don't want to say the wrong words. And listen, you're not alone if you're intimidated by prayer. I mean, the one thing the disciples asked Jesus to teach them is what? Teach us to pray. So I'm going to give you the secret. If you want to have a, a prayer life, I'm going to give you a secret right now. Okay, write this down. Take a little note to remind yourself in case you didn't know. Here we go. Here's how you have a prayer life. You wanna hear of it? The best way to learn how to pray is to start praying. <laughs> Richard Foster, by praying we learn to pray. Thomas Merton, if you want a life of prayer, the way to get it is by praying. 
John Chapman, pray as you can. Don't try to pray as you can't. Because here, prayer is an investment. You say, what does that mean? Here's Here's what prayer isn't. Your prayers don't inform God anything. It's not like you're down here on earth and you got a walkie-talkie and you're trying to tell God stuff he didn't know. Oh God, I want you to know that I've got a headache. And God's like say, hey Gabriel, did you know Alan's got a headache? No idea, I can't either. How in the world do you, no. Your prayers don't inform God of stuff he doesn't know. Your prayers don't inform, they also don't instruct God. So you're not making God do something he doesn't wanna do. So they don't inform, you don't tell stuff God he doesn't already know, they don't instruct, you're not making him do something he doesn't wanna do. Your prayer is an investment in your relationship with God and your relationship with other people. See, what you have to understand is that prayer pays eternal dividends not only in your life, but in the life of other people. Because prayer is the means by which you and I encounter and connect to the living God of the universe. See, it's not God's power, it's not my power in prayer, it's God's power in prayer. It's God's power poured out on and through his people by exposing the depth of their need for him, expressing their desires to be with him, and then you experience the power of God flowing through them. That's what prayer is. And if you're honest, you're probably where you are today because somebody prayed for you. I've got somebody in my life who prayed for me. My great-grandmother, Lucy Wilson Sadler. She was a prayer warrior. I remember as a little kid going into her house in Greystone Manor in Somerset, Kentucky, and just being with my great-grandma, Lucy. She would ask me inevitably every time we came to visit, honey, how can I pray for you today? She had a list and she prayed. Every day she prayed for her children, she prayed for her grandchildren, she had nine children, so she did a lot of praying. (laughs) She prayed for her grandkids, she prayed for her great-grandkids by names and one of her grandkids is my mother. Her son, my grandfather, is my mother's dad. I know how that works, okay? (laughs) My mother's dad was Ray, Ray was Lucy's son, and Ray died at a young age with a massive heart attack. My mom, Deborah, was raised by her mom, a single mom, a woman by the name of Lois. And Lucy made my mom a priority in her life, priority in prayer, but also bringing her to church Sunday after Sunday. And because of my great-grandmother's investment in my mother's life, my mom became a believer. But the story doesn't end there. Lucy continued to make an investment in prayer and that investment paid dividends with my mother, but not just my mother, but my mother who was married to my dad, Mike, who wasn't a believer at the time they were married. My mother, because of my great-grandmother and grandmother and all of them were praying for my dad and because of their prayers, my dad became a believer. He was an alcoholic and God radically, dramatically saved him. And he poured out the booze out of the bottle the day he was saved. 
But not only did God save him, but he also called him into ministry. And for 25 years, my dad was a pastor. But I'm telling you today that I wouldn't be standing in front of you in 2024 preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ if it wasn't for a praying great-grandmother and a praying mom. My mom, because of her great-grandmother, is a prayer warrior as well. She has a Bible. That's her prayer Bible. In that prayer Bible, she journals. She writes her prayers out. She prays for her children and her grandchildren by name. As a matter of fact, uh, each week she has a prayer person that she focuses on each week, and so she will bombard you with text messages. What can I pray for you about? You're my prayer person of the week. She prays scripture over us. She prays for us each and every day. Let me tell you something. I would dare say that many of us who are Christians today would not be so if it wasn't for someone else praying for us. See, it's an investment, and we have to stay persistent in it. Day in, day out. That's what Paul's doing here. So what we see is that he is an example of persistence in prayer. But not only that, I want you to see his encouragement for what to pray for. So now we're going to get to the meat of the prayer. Paul's prayer for the saints in Colossae was not that they would be healthy and wealthy, famous, comfortable, and happy. It's much deeper than that. Now what I love about the Apostle Paul is that this is a run-on sentence in the Greek. Paul, like me, didn't do well in grammar. And he prays here. And this prayer that we're going to read and study further is an encouragement to not only our hearts, but to teach us what we should pray for others. Here's what Paul prayed for. Paul prayed for these Colossians and for us today that, that we would have wisdom in our walk with Christ that we would have power to persevere in Christ and that we would be grateful for the grace of God in our lives from Christ. And so let's just unpack that. The first prayer request is in verse number nine, B. He says this, I am praying that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Paul's prayer for the Colossians was that they would know God's will. That word know is the word, Greek word epigenosis. It means to have full and intimate knowledge. Paul here is praying that they would not just know about God, but they would intimately know God. And the more you know of God, the more you know God, the more you will understand God's will in, for your life. Some people say, Pastor, I want to know what is God's will for my life? What is God's will for my life? Here's how you can find out. Get to know God more. When you get to know God more, when you understand who he is and what he is like and what he desires, you will understand God's will for your life by knowing who God is. And so he's praying here, I am praying that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom. You know, you know what we need today more than, than anything else? We need wisdom. Most of the things you encounter are not decisions between good and bad. Most of the decisions you encounter are between the good and the best. And good things become bad things when they keep you from the best things. And so what you and I need more than anything is we need the wisdom of God. Well, what's the wisdom of God? It's the ability to know God's truth and to apply it to everyday life. It's not this, that you know more about uh, things in the Bible. It's not that you just know more stuff, but that you know God more. And when you know God more, you're going to know what action and decision and behavior is going to be the best, good, and right in whatever situation you find yourself in. That's what we need today. 
We have people who are, who are educated beyond their intelligence telling us stuff to do from the man's perspective, and that's why people are living broken, defeated lives, because what you need is not more of worldly knowledge. What you need is God's wisdom. And when you have God's wisdom, here's what he's praying. I am praying for y'all, because that's what he said, because Paul was Southern like me, amen? <laughs> I'm praying that y'all would be filled with the wisdom of God so that, so as, verse 10, so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him. When you know God more and you know God's will for your life and you have wisdom to follow God's will, you will walk in a way that pleases God. That is, you, when you understand who God is and you follow and chase after his will, you're gonna walk in a way that's in step with God. You're not gonna get ahead of him. You're not gonna get behind him. You're gonna walk right with him. Let me illustrate this. I told you last week that my family has a new addition. We have a little dog by the name of Lexington. She is cute, isn't she? But she's a varmint. She's a puppy. So we are training her. I didn't realize how hard it was to train a puppy. Okay? It's hard. And so we're potty training her. She's had a couple of accidents, but for the most part, she's pretty good. She's pretty smart. Gets it from her dad, okay? But we're also training her how to walk with us. Now, I, just so you know, I'm pretty dumb when it comes to, to animals. And I just thought that you could just put a leash on a dog, a puppy dog, and they just walk with you. No. So we put the leash on Lexi and we take her out. And here's what she loves to do. She likes to sprint ahead. Now, she's like six pounds soaking wet, but she can, I mean, she can pull, all right? And so she'll just take off and we're just going this way. And then all of a sudden, she's in a dead sprint and she'll do a dead stop because she sees a leaf. <laughs> she's obsessed with leaves right now. Like that, that little girl, she just loves leaves. And so she'll, she'll be in a dead sprint, sees a leaf, stops. You're about to trample over her. Or the other thing is this, you'll be walking with her and she'll just say, I'm done and just lay down. So what we're doing right now is we're training her. You know what we're training her to do? To walk with us. To follow our commands and to be in step with us. We are trying to train her to know us so that she can obey us. So she doesn't get distracted, doesn't get ahead of us, doesn't just lay down, doesn't quit. She walks with us. And when she walks with us, we reward her with a treat. And when she doesn't walk with us, we correct her. Because when she walks with us, that's where the joy comes in. And that's what God is doing with us. We're all the puppy dog. And we like to run ahead of God. And we get distracted by leaves. Or we just say, I'm done and lay down. And God's saying, no, Walk with me, walk and step with me because when you walk with God, that's where the joy is. So here's my question, are you walking with God? 
The greatest prayer that you can pray for someone is that they would walk with God. I pray that for my kids. God, I want my kids to walk with you. I want them to be with you. I want them to hang out with you. Now, here's the thing. Some of you say, well, I don't mind walking with God, but the reality is, is that most of us are more worried about the destination than we are the journey. And so what you have to understand is that, yes, you are going to heaven, but why not enjoy the journey with Jesus? Because when you enjoy the journey with Jesus in this broken world, you don't worry about where you're going. You got th that's already figured out. You can just trust him with the next steps. So when you walk with God, here's what he says. I want you to have wisdom to walk with God so that you'll bear fruit. That when you're in step with God, when you know God, when you follow him, you will have a fruitful, flourishing life. See, some of you are like, man, I'm not happy. I don't feel fulfilled. I don't feel satisfied. You know why you're not walking with God? When you're walking with God, you'll be fruitful. John chapter, five, verse, or John chapter 15, verse five, Jesus said this, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he who bears much fruit. You gotta abide in him. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. How do you abide in him? You abide in him by being in his word. You abide in him by spending time in prayer. You abide in him by being quiet. And when you abide in him, he changes you. Now, it takes time. It doesn't just happen overnight. You don't just immediately become fruitful. You know, when I was in elementary school, when I was in like kindergarten, first grade, we, they did this experiment where they were teaching you like botany and they would give you this clear cup and they would put dirt in it. And then they would, the teacher would give you tomato seeds and you would plant the tomato seeds. Anybody remember this? And you, they would water the seed, and then you would put it on the windowsill, put your name on the bottom of it, and each day, you would go and check on the progress of the seed in the cup of soil. And so you come day one, nothing. Day two, nothing. Day three, nothing. Day four, nothing. Day five, nothing. Day six, nothing. Day seven, little bitty sprout. Day eight, sprout grows. Day nine, sprout grows. Day 10, sprout grows. Day 16, a little flower starts to form. Day 21, the flower buds. The day, day 30, a little tomato grows. Little by little by little, the growth happens. Some of you have just started walking with God. And maybe some of you just started reading the Bible last week and you're saying, why haven't I changed yet? Because it's little by little by little. As you walk with God, the longer you walk with God, the more you look like God, you act like God, and you bear fruit that God wants for your life. And so that was Paul's prayer. I am praying that you would have wisdom to walk with God so that you would be fruitful and flourishing. Number two. He prays that they would have power to persevere in Christ. He says, may you be strengthened, verse 11, may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Now here's, here's something here. Paul is praying that they would be empowered to stop relying on themselves, to stop saying, I got this, and to rely on God's power to say, God's got this. Now notice here, Paul is not praying that God would give them everything they asked for. He's praying that God would give them everything they need. And he says, I want you to be strengthened with all strength according to his glorious might for what? For all endurance and patience with joy. Now, let me just tell you something. Endurance and patience 
are suffering words. Okay? Like some of you all, endurance, that's, that sounds difficult, right? I gotta endure, like some of you are right now. Like, I'm praying the Lord gives me endurance for this message, okay? Endurance, patience. What Paul is saying is, I'm praying that you would have strength so that you can endure and be patient. Endurance and patience, patience are, are the weapons that we need to live in a fallen, broken world full of crisis and panic. What he's praying is this. He's saying, pray, he's saying Father, please let them be strengthened so that they would keep on keeping on, so that they would persevere, so that when the going gets tough, they won't take off. Help them, God, not to give up, not to run away. But notice here, he is praying that they would believe despite their horrible circumstances. He does not pray that God would change their circumstances. But he prays that God would give them the strength to patiently endure their circumstances. In other words, he is praying that God will help them do hard things. Now, my generation is the millennial generation. We got any millennials in the room? Say amen. Amen, like some of you, okay? My generation, and the reason why some of you aren't gonna say much is because you're like, well, because we have a bad reputation because my generation is known as the snowflakes, okay? We're the sunbeams, we're the skittles, okay? Because we were told, you're a skittle, you're a sunbeam. And so a lot of people in my generation and even some of the next generation had, there was a kind of parenting called helicopter parenting. You ever heard of helicopter parenting? That what you would have is you would have parents who always watching what their kids are doing so that they could swoop them down if danger arises. Well, what's happened is that helicopter parenting has now changed to a new type of parenting. You know what it is? It's called bulldozer parenting. Okay, so no longer. No, parents now go ahead and they bulldoze every obstacle in their child's path. Because we don't want our children to suffer. We don't want our children to have it tough. So we wanna not swoop in to save them. We wanna just go ahead and clear the deck for them. And what's happened is we now have a bunch of weak sissies. Right? You say, well, that's not politically correct. It's the truth, right? Because if, you, if you've never gone through a difficulty, if you've never gone through a challenge, you won't see any change in your life. You grow the best in adversity, not prosperity. And, and here's the thing. We, that's why we're having weak sissies. But there's a lot of weak sissies in the church. Because we want God to be a bulldozer for us. Often our prayers are often spent, we spend so much time praying that God would change our circumstances, that he would bulldoze our problems more than we ask God to change us in our circumstances. We spend way more time saying, God, please change my circumstances than say, God, whatever circumstances come my way, help me to be more like you. And so that's what Paul is praying for. He's praying that they would walk with God to be fruitful and that they would have 
power to persevere that when the going gets tough, they don't take off. And it is sad how many people call themselves believers, follow the Lord, but put their faith in man or put them, their faith in themselves. And when things are tough at church, when things are touch, tough in their life, they take off and they run from God. What we need today is a group of believers who have a spine of steel strengthened by the power of God's spirit living for Jesus, regardless of the politics, regardless of the pain, regardless of the difficulty keeping on for Jesus. Because I'm telling you right now, it ain't going to get easier. Okay, you can't put your hope in some dope that'll go to the White House. You got to put your hope in Jesus. That was extra. Y'all got that one for free. All right, here we go. <laughs> he prays. I can run out of time. All right, here we go. He prays that they would be strengthened, that they would, they would walk in wisdom, that they would be strengthened. And then he prays that they would be grateful for the grace of God. Stay with me. Don't leave me on this one. He says in verse 12, he says, giving thanks to the Father. He prayed that they would be grateful despite the challenges that they faced because they already had in Christ way more than they would ever lose on the earth. That Christ is far better and Christ is far greater than anything they would face in the earth. If you are a born again, spirit-filled, adopted child of God, you always have something to be grateful for. And Paul's prayer is that they would be grateful. And you know what Paul, what, what my prayer for my life is? I want to be grateful. I don't want to be grumbly hateful. I want to be humbly grateful. And Paul tells us why. He says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you. It's a big word. I could spend an entire sermon on that one word, qualified. Like how many of you feel un unqualified? I do. You know, we live in a world obsessed with qualifications. And, and we, we always want to boost our qualifications because we want to impress others on how great we are. And so we love numbers and we love dollars and we love degrees and achievements and accomplishments to bolster our sense of self-worth because we're always trying to qualify ourselves. We're always trying to help ourselves not feel like we're a bum. But according to the scriptures, we can give thanks to the Father because the Father has qualified us to share into the inheritance of the saints that God has qualified us to go to heaven. You understand that we don't qualify to go to heaven? No one in this room can qualify to go to heaven. There's no amount of good works, no amount of money you can give, no amount of pious living you can live that can qualify you to go to heaven. Because we don't measure up. But yet through Jesus Christ, we're qualified. See, it's been said, God does not call the qualified. He qualifies the called. Because qualifications into God's kingdom are perfection, and you can't earn that. And so because you can't earn it, it's given to you. So then from that point, Paul preaches the gospel in this prayer. He says, when we were unqualified, God the Father qualified us by, number one, rescuing us. 
He delivered us from the domain of darkness. When we were in the bondage of sin and death and Satan and hell in the grave, when we were lost and hopeless, when we were doomed to the tomb, Jesus Christ came on a search and rescue mission. He sought us, he bought us, he freed us. We're set free. We've been rescued. But here's the thing. He doesn't just say you've been delivered from the domain of darkness, but not only have we been rescued, we've been relocated. He has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Jesus Christ did not just rescue us from hell and then say, figure it out on your own. He rescued us from hell and he then transferred us into his kingdom. That's a dramatic change of status. And we went from being a citizen of hell to now being a citizen of the kingdom that's ruled by Jesus Christ. We went from being an enemy of God to being a part of the family of God. So the gospel of Jesus is not only that which calls us out, but it also calls us into. So we were rescued, we've been relocated, and now we've also been redeemed. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. Jesus Christ paid the price for our freedom and forgiveness. This points back to the Exodus, where God's people were redeemed by the blood of the lamb on the doorpost. It pictures the blood of Jesus who purchased our redemption and secured our forgiveness so that we can have a right relationship with God. And he says here, give thanks because you have been rescued. You have been relocated. You have been redeemed. Now, let me explain redemption just a little bit, because that's a big churchy word. Have you ever gotten a coupon in the mail or in the email before for something free? So the other day, I was on my computer, and I got an email from Nothing Bunt Cakes. (laughs) And the coupon said, free buttlet. Free buntlet. And so I prayed about it. (laughs) And I thought, wow, what did I ever do to deserve such a gift like that? I don't deserve it, but I'm going to go get it. (laughs) So I will down here on Goodlet. Be bopping through, go into nothing bunt cakes, walked into there, saw the glorious display of heavenly products. <laughs> Says on the coupon, whichever one you want. That's the Allen version of that. I chose the red velvet for the glory of God. <laughs> Lady said, How can I help you? I said, one buntlet, red velvet. She puts it in the thing. She says, is that all? And I said, yes, I have a coupon. (laughs) And I took that coupon and I redeemed the coupon and gave it to that lady. Here's what that meant. I redeemed it. I took it. I received it. Here's what happened. I gave her the coupon She gave me the cake. A coupon I didn't do anything to deserve was a free gift I took in my hands, gave it to her, I get the cake. Now here's the thing. Nothing but cakes paid for everything. 
So it costs them everything and it costs me nothing. All I had to do is receive it. That's the gospel. Jesus paid the cost to purchase our forgiveness and a right relationship with God. It cost Jesus everything and cost me nothing. And so I took the coupon of his grace that I don't deserve and I get heaven that I'll never be able to earn all because of Jesus. See, if you're a child of God, you always got something to be thankful for. And that's what Paul wants for you and for me. To walk with God. To be strengthened. To endure this broken and fallen world. And to always be grateful. Always be grateful. We got any Michigan Wolverine fans in the house? Congratulations. You won the national championship. It's taken a while, but you're back, baby. Your coach right now is Jim Harbaugh. Jim Harbaugh, you all know, has a brother named John Harbaugh, is a coach of the Baltimore Ravens. Did you know that Jim and John's dad, Jack, was a championship winning coach? He coached Western Kentucky University. That's how I actually heard about the Harbaugh's is when I lived in Bowling Green, heard about their reputation. When the Wolverines won Monday night, um, Jack Harbaugh was on the stage with his son Jim celebrating this victory. And at the end of, after the trophy was, was given to, to Michigan and all the fanfare was there, Jack Harbaugh got on the microphone and here's what he said. He said, who's got it better than us? And the crowd said, Nobody. Now, why would they say that? Because I didn't really know, and so I researched it, and that's actually a catchphrase for the Harbaugh family, and it became a motto for the University of Michigan, and there's a story behind it, and watch it and find out. Old John was, you know, eight or eight and a half, and one day when we came out of the house, Dad was gonna drive us to school, and we're like, where's the car, Dad? He goes, no car today, boys. We're walking. Grab a basketball. Let's get 100 with the right, 100 with the left. Who's got it better than us? Nobody, Dad. Nobody. So that's where it came from. Jack Harbaugh wanted to teach his kids to be grateful, even though they didn't have a car, to realize that they had something far greater. But who's got it better than us? Nobody. Well, listen, if you are a Christian, if you are adopted, redeemed, rescued, and relocated, who's got it better than us? Nobody. Who's got it better than us? All because of Jesus. Nobody's got it better than us. Because we're in him. And we got to live with that. May that be the model of your life. That I'm going to be grateful. Who's got it better than us? Nobody. Nobody's got it better than us. Because we are in Christ. You know, I pray for you every day. I really do. I pray that God would bless you. That he would strengthen you. That he would guide you. He would change you. Every day I pray that he would fill you and me with his Holy Spirit. I love you. I love this church. I love what God's doing here. I, I pray that God would 
would continue to give you grace to be on mission for him. And one of my biggest prayers is my prayer is that you would live in freedom. 2024, I believe, is going to be a watershed year for our church. And, and because I believe God is going to do greater things, I believe that we need to put greater attention on praying. We're going to put a greater, not just a one-off, but this is going to become a part of the culture of our church. We want to be a praying church. So I'm going to give you an invitation today. If you are here and you need prayer, we're going to have an opportunity for you to be prayed over. We want to pray for you today. So would you have everyone bow your heads and everyone close your eyes? I'm not, I don't want to embarrass you. I, I don't want to call you out. But if you're here today and you say, Pastor, I'm struggling. I'm struggling personally, struggling financially. I'm struggling with some health issues. I've got issues with my kids. I'm not sure I'm right with God. I'm not sure I'm a Christian. I'm going through a lot of difficulty right now. I'm depressed, I'm sad, I'm lonely, and I just need someone to pray for me. I'm gonna ask you to do something. Every head's bowed, every eye's closed. If you're here and you need someone to pray for you, I want you just to stand up right where you are. Just stand up. Be bold and stand. Nobody's looking. If you need prayer, you just stand straight up. So those of you who are standing in this room, now I want you to do something else bold. There's a lot, of, there's about 2,000 people in this room right now, I know. But if you're here and you need prayer and you really want God to do something in your life, God does business with those who mean business. I want you to come down here to the front. Just come on, walk on down. Come on. No one's gonna make fun of you. No one's gonna be mad at you. Just walk on up to the front. We have these rugs here. These are places if you want to kneel down and pray, you can. But if you need prayer, just come on up all the way up the front. You got to get tied in here. Get tied in here. You can kneel. You can, you can pray. You can stand. If you're physically unable, that's fine. You come on in. If you need prayer, if you need a touch from the Lord today, if you need healing today, we want to pray for you today. We want to pray for you. All right, church family, those of you who didn't necessarily have a prayer need to come down for, I want you to stand up. And if you can, not, not everybody, but if you feel led to come down, I want you to come and pray over these people. So it's a little bit tight in here. It's fine. So you can get up where you are. You can get up. Just come and pray down for these people. And if you're in this room and you're, you're here and just just put your hands on other people. Pray for other people right now. And here's what I want you to do. Is this right now, church family, where you are, maybe you can't physically come down. I want you to pray for these people out loud. So everyone, let's just pray to the Lord. Pray that God would bless them. He'd strengthen them right now. Do it. Go for it. Pray. Pray out loud. Cacophony of prayer. Pray for these folks here. Pray for them. If you can't get in here, that's fine. Just pray. Pray for them out loud. You can do it.